Great to be here with you all, and uh, greetings from frigid New Hampshire <laughs> right now. It's nice to come into a bit of warmth. Uh, believe it or not, this is nice and warm, and uh, this really is a, a, a pleasure to be here uh, with you all. And you know, I've known PJ for I guess uh, 20 years now, though mostly from afar. Uh, but during that time. I feel like I've really benefited from his ministry uh, over those years. So it really is a, a privilege for me personally to be able to have been working with uh, PJ uh, recently and to have uh, PJ and Sam inputting into our context in New England, uh, where they have been a huge blessing already uh, to our churches there. So uh, thank you all for that. Thank you for sending them. And, uh, you know, your loss at that time is our gain. Uh, but I'm here, as you heard, as a pulpit swap. So we're going to see how that goes, all right? Um, I'll just uh, tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I'm married to an amazing artist called Emma Ashby. You can Google that. Amazing artist called Emma Ashby. You'll see what I mean, all right? Uh, she uh, paints with a medium called encaustic, which is an ancient medium and has become actually very successful at that. Um, we have four grown children. We have four grandchildren and one on the way. Uh, so we're growing our tribe here. Um, I grew up in South London. I went to the same schools as David Bowie and uh, Billy Idol. Uh, Billy Idol was at our high school. He was, back then, Billy was in a, band, a punk band called Generation X. Uh, I was in a punk band called Hepatitis Risk. <laughs> and uh, uh, then I got converted and became a pastor. And that's my story, all right? <laughs> 17 years ago, Emma and I moved to the United States with our family uh, to lead a church plant that was just starting in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, uh, where we've been to this day. And um, that has now become New Frontiers Church, as you heard. And we're a kind of a hub church now serving a number of others in our region. I just want to tell you a, a quick story just about our church because it relates to the text we're going to look at uh, in a moment. About uh, four years ago, we moved into a new building in a commercial district of Portsmouth. And next door to us, is a public housing neighborhood called Gosling Meadows. And there's about uh, 125 low-income families uh, that live there, and it's totally isolated from any other residential neighborhood in the area. And it really is the neediest place in our city. Uh, in fact, the Portsmouth Police Department say that it, that it used to be that 70% of their calls related to that one neighborhood. Um, and of course, you know, it's, it's drugs and alcohol abuse being the main problems. Um, there was one report of, of kids being locked in a, uh, in, a, in a cage, I guess in a, a crate or something, while parents were shooting heroin. Um, there's, you know, prostitution there. There's uh, drug dealing and drug busts and people dying of overdoses and suicide. And it's, I mean, it really is uh, the darkest place. And there is no sense of community there at all. Uh, people there feel rejected. 
rejected by one another because they're always fighting with one another, rejected by the city and by society because they're kind of seen as the, the problem people. And, uh, but they became our new neighbours. And so we started praying uh, for uh, an opportunity to be able to bless them in some way. And I met with the executive director of Portsmouth Housing, and I guess he knew um, how much help they needed because he kind of welcomed us with open arms and gave me the keys to the rec center, which was hardly used there. And so about four years ago, we started community dinners there. We, every Thursday night, we put on uh, a dinner, we serve a meal uh, to about uh, 50 residents, mostly children at first, uh, because people there are suspicious of do-gooders. And, uh, you know, throughout the years, they've had lots of churches and organizations that have gone in, you know, try to do good, uh, maybe do a spring clean-up, clean up the play area, uh, you know, plant a vegetable garden, start a project, but then they'll move on. And so it gets trashed again, the vegetable garden isn't maintained, the project doesn't last. And people don't want to be treated like a project anyway. So they'll, they'll take whatever you're going to give, but they won't let you in. And why would they? Uh, you know, how can a single mum uh, with multiple partners and a bunch of kids with different dads, how can she possibly relate to what she perceives as kind of respectable church folk. She just feels that you'd be secretly judging her. And she's probably right. One of the ladies there uh, called Kim, uh, she was the roughest and toughest of them all. I mean, she would just cuss people out on the street, she'd have stand-up fights. And uh, when she first started coming to our community dinners, with her kids. I mean, she always had a scowl on her face, didn't want to get into conversation. And if you ask me then, who is the least likely to change in this whole neighborhood, she would be top of my list. But then after, I guess, about two or three years, I think she began wondering why we were still there. That maybe we weren't there just to try and convert or to offer free food, because we would actually sit down and, and have a meal uh, with the residents and, and talk with them. And so gradually, over time, she began to open up to my wife, Emma, and to one or two others there, and um, they found out that she actually had an interest in baking, which was a surprise, and they encouraged her to make some cupcakes for our Valentine's dinner that we were going to host there. And so she made all these cupcakes, and they were amazing. Uh, we, and we just kind of praised her for that, and it really affected her. I'm not too sure anyone had ever praised her before in her life. And so that led to her then joining our single mums group that we started there, and they had a, uh, the ladies there had a plan to do a bake sale to raise money to take the Gosling kids to Legoland. So we offered our building, we said, well, why don't you come and do it after one of our services on Sunday? And so one Sunday last year, five of those ladies from Gosling came, some of them for the first time ever to a church, and they had a bake sale, and they raised over $1,000. And it really impacted them. Uh, and praise God, now Kim has come to faith, has been baptized, uh, along with another lady there at Gosling. 
And now she just has the biggest smile on her face. Now she's still got a ways to go, haven't we all? Uh, but we really sense God is beginning to move there. We just know it's the tip of the iceberg. Listen, we live in a society where people feel isolated and excluded, where rejection is the norm, right? Unwanted children, unwanted elderly people, unwanted spouses. People might feel rejected because of their economic status, because of their sexuality, uh, or maybe even their race. And tragically, one of the last places they would think of going to to find acceptance and inclusion is the church. Uh, many would fear being judged or maybe just not fitting in. And some have had first-hand experience of that, uh, like my transgender friend who was told he was an abomination. But what would Jesus say about that? How did he relate to people like that? People who are... Uh, felt rejected and how can Christ followers do the same today and I feel like our church has been learning some things about that but we've learned it all from Jesus and so it's to Jesus I want us to turn now and we're going to look at a story as we continue your series of encounters we're going to look at John chapter 4 and an encounter that a woman had with Jesus there and we've called her in this series the reject which I think is a little unkind but I think uh Maybe that's how she may have felt. So let's uh, read, please, from John chapter 4. And I'm going to pick it up here. We're going to dive in at verse 3, okay? John chapter 4, from verse 3, where we read that Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So this was around noon. This was in the heat of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Or as some translations put it, please give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And I think the relevance there is that uh, traveling groups then would have all carried something to draw water with. I mean, apparently they would have a leather bucket that you could then roll up and take with you. Uh, and it would seem that his disciples had left Jesus without anything to draw water with from this well. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Um, just a comment there, any Jewish person would have reacted right there and then to this Samaritan claiming Jacob as their father. All right? 
Jesus does not get drawn into debates and arguments. He is focused here on eternal things. So he says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now this woman, who uh, no doubt must feel very exposed at this point in time, does what most of us would do, uh, changes the subject and raises a theological question. She says to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And then Jesus here, rather than saying to her, don't change the subject, actually treats this woman with great uh, dignity and respect. And he honors her with some of the richest teaching on worship in the New Testament. And we're not going to read that next bit. That's a whole message on its own. Jump to the first 35. So the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just then, the disciples came back, and they marveled, or other translations say they were astonished. They were shocked that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? And so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And then they went out of the town, and the whole village, it seems, were coming towards Jesus. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat you do not know about. And so his disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought you something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Holy Spirit, we just ask you right now to be our teacher. Uh, lead us into truth, I pray. Uh, Lord, will you, I pray that you would make us more like Jesus that he might be glorified in us and through us, we pray. Amen. Okay, what do we learn from this story about Jesus and about us as Christ followers? All right, now there's lots here. I'm just going to highlight three things, all right? It always comes in threes, doesn't it? Three things. First, very simply, Jesus was on a mission. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, I don't know if you noticed, there are two themes running through this story, right? Water and food. 
And on each of those things, this contrast is being made between the spiritual and the physical. And it seems to me that the disciples here are clearly motivated by food in a rather unspiritual uh, way. See, like Jesus, they're also on a mission. But they seem to be more concerned with filling their own stomachs. And when you can see that in this story, it's actually quite hilarious. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed the humor <clears throat> that is in this story, but I mean, just think about it for a second. How many disciples does it take to go and buy the food? <laughs> right? Jesus has been left alone by the well, okay, weary as he was, in the heat of the day, with nothing to draw water with. Right? Where are his friends? Where are his friends? Well, it says his disciples have gone into the city to buy food. So important was their mission. It took all 12 disciples to go and buy food. Right? No one is trusting anyone else to get their food. Right? Hey, that's funny. I mean, these are 12 hungry disciples so focused on themselves, they leave their master Jesus alone by the well. Not one of them said, look, you guys, you know, you go on ahead you get the food, I'll, I'll have a BLT and you know, salt and vinegar chips, I'll, but I'll stay here with the master. I'll stay with the master. I'll, take, I'll keep him company. Not one! No one was thinking about Jesus here. They're all on their own mission. And meanwhile, Jesus is doing the Father's work. Has this amazing conversation with the Samaritan woman, and it's just as he reveals who he truly is, and we're on the edge of our seats waiting to see how she's going to respond when suddenly the disciples return, all right? And you just imagine this uh, seemingly, I can imagine this happy, noisy band of disciples, we're back, we got the food, right? And interrupt this intimate scene, um, except no one dares say anything. Why is that? Um, can I suggest they knew better? Uh, they really didn't want a teaching moment right? They wanted to eat. How do we know that? Because as soon as the woman left, what's the first words out of their mouths in verse 31? Rabbi, let's eat, right? And then check this out. Jesus says to them, I have food to eat you do not know about. And so the disciples are saying, what? Has someone brought him something to eat? You've already eaten? I mean, it's hilarious, isn't it? Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You see, the disciples totally miss it, as uh, I so often do, if I'm honest. I wonder how many times I've missed opportunities where God was wanting to use me in my day-to-day -day life. The people he's put across my path, uh, where maybe I've been too busy or, or too preoccupied to even notice. How often are we focused on our own appetites, on our own wants and needs, that we miss what God is wanting to do, uh, the people that he's wanting us to reach. And so Jesus here is telling us about a different kind of food, a food that really satisfies. And that is, he says, to do the will of the Father and to accomplish his work. It actually caused Jesus to lose his appetite as he saw this whole village of people making their way towards him, wanting to know more. 
And all because of this one woman's testimony, this woman who'd been far from God, but whose spirit had been stirred through this encounter with Jesus. This is my food, says Jesus. This is what gets me up in the morning. This is why I'm here. This is what I've been sent to do. And it's what we've been sent to do as well, isn't it? Right at the end of John's Gospel, Jesus says, even as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Right? May God give us all a spiritual appetite to do his work, uh, to engage with him in his mission. Amen? Right? When you see people who uh, find new life and joy and, and peace and purpose in Jesus, when you see broken lives uh, being transformed, there is no greater food. So that's the first thing, that Jesus is on a mission. Um, but how did this move of God take place in Samaria? Because that's what it seems like happened. Because you read on, many of them came to believe. It seems like a revival broke out because Jesus had to stay on two more days to minister to all the people. How did that happen? Well, my second point here is that it's a mission that crosses barriers. All right? It's a mission that crosses barriers. It, and it starts with Jesus asking this woman for a drink. And the woman is astonished. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, can ask me, a woman, a woman from Samaria, for a drink? That's the literal translation. And the three main reasons uh, there why she was shocked at his request, <coughs> actually the three barriers that Jesus crossed here. And the first is that she was a woman. Uh, there's a cultural issue here. And we really have to look at this through Middle Eastern eyes to understand. Uh, there's a great book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes by Kenneth Bailey that I would recommend. Very helpful in understanding uh, the context here. But in that culture, you know, devout Jewish men would never have allowed themselves to be alone with a woman that was not their wife. And if it was unavoidable, they certainly wouldn't get into a conversation with one. That was kind of a social no-no, you know? And especially for a rabbi like Jesus, it just was one of those social boundaries you didn't cross. And so when this Samaritan woman approached the well, the culturally appropriate thing to do would be to withdraw and allow her to draw near. Jesus doesn't do that. He stays at the well. What's more, he engages with her in conversation and asks her for a drink of water. I mean, this is totally improper. So it's no wonder then that the disciples are startled when they come back and they see Jesus talking to her. You know, it's hard, I think, for us to appreciate, isn't it, just the radical changes in attitudes towards women that Jesus introduced. That just by asking her for a drink of water, that Jesus actually elevated this woman's dignity and her worth and all women along with her. So she's a woman. The second barrier he crossed was that she was a Samaritan. And just to make sure his readers understood how shocking this is, John tells us, doesn't he, in verse 9, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. 
And that's because there was a 400-year-old hostility between them, where the Samaritans uh, claimed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their fathers. Uh, but what had happened was their, in, their ancestors had intermarried with the surrounding nations, and so the Jews saw them as, as half-breeds and rejected them. And that led to all kinds of hostility and tension, so these two peoples avoided one another, had nothing to do with one another. And so any Jew taking the journey Jesus was on would have gone around Samaria, even though it took twice as long, whereas Jesus and his disciples go right through Samaria. And even more surprising than that, engages in a conversation with a Samaritan. And then, totally shocking, is to ask one for a drink. Because, you see, there was a purity issue there as well. A Jew would not drink from a Samaritan's cup because that would have made him ritually unclean. All right? But then to compound the shock, not only were there social, racial, religious reasons for avoiding and even rejecting this woman, it's likely there were also moral reasons as well. So the third barrier is that this is a woman of a dubious background. You see, women didn't go to fetch water at noon. They would go in the cool of the day, and then they would not go alone, they would go in a group. Here we find a woman at noon, all by herself at the well. And so many commentators would say this can only point to one thing, that this is a woman of ill repute. She would have known that travelers would hang, hang out at a well at noon. So they say this is a bit like a woman hanging out at a truck stop at night. Either way, she would be shunned by any religious person, and especially a rabbi like Jesus. But as we heard, when Jesus asked her to go fetch her husband, and then revealed that he knew she had already had five husbands, he clearly knew this, he knew all about her. As he knows everything about every one of us here, and yet, in spite of knowing all that, he still asks her to share her cup with him. Now, what does this tell us about Jesus? What does it tell us about him? What does it tell us about the church today? Or about ourselves? You see, who would you not want to share a cup with? Who would you not want to share a cup with? And if you did, would they be shocked and say, how is it that you, a Christian, would ask me for a drink? In our nation today, there are significant barriers, um, tensions, aren't there, between people groups who feel rejected by one another. And the issue may be racial, uh, it may be social, political, theological, um, but so often, you know, and it's led to so much anger and pain where the church so often hasn't helped, has kind of got involved in the debate rather than pointing to Jesus who provides the solution. And so... For many people, including our own neighbors, many of our neighbors perhaps, and our work colleagues, uh, the church can come across as moralistic and 
judgmental and rejecting of them because of their beliefs or their sexuality or maybe even their gender or class or race. So what's going to change that? Because if we're going to truly follow Jesus, it means intentionally crossing those barriers. Just like Jesus did with this woman. A woman who had been very wary of any Jew, as would all Samaritans. And yet because of this encounter, she, along with her whole village, want to know Jesus. What can we learn from this? And I think Jesus gives us a key here today, right? When he asks for a drink of water. And I don't think that that was a trick question, right? I don't think that was a trick question trying to get into a spiritual conversation. I think he genuinely was thirsty. Um, And yet by asking for a drink of water, Jesus broke through those barriers. He, He disarmed, if you want, the fear and the hostility because he put himself in a position of need. Of weakness. And so that's my final point here. Jesus was on a mission, right? It's a mission that crossed barriers, but thirdly, it's a mission characterized by weakness. Uh, listen to Kenneth Bailey. Here's a quote from his book. He says, contained in this dramatic action is a profound theology of mission. Jesus so totally humbles himself that he needs her services. Jesus does not establish his initial relationship with her by explaining how she needs him and his message. That will come later. Rather, his opening line means, I am weak and need help. Can you help me? His request is genuine. He is thirsty and has no leather bucket. Jesus reached out to her from a position of weakness and of need. And what's more, he clearly expected his disciples to relate to people in the same way. Because on the first recorded mission trip, right, when he sent out the 12 in Mark chapter 6, we read in verse 8, it says this, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money. Can you see? They were to go in weakness, in need. And I think so often the church today, and particularly the church here in the West, has tried to relate to people and society from a position of strength. Either by taking political power, or by taking the moral high ground. Uh, Like, we have what you need. We have the answers. You need us. And even when we say to people, well, you know, we just want to serve you. So often, it comes with an attitude of superiority, uh, where we serve from a position of strength. You know, like Christians who talk about, uh, you know, serving the poor, whether that's in our own cities or even in poorer nations, because what that so often does is emphasizes our strength and their weakness. And it can be patronizing, because we become the patrons, the benefactors, And what happens, it can end up stimulating pride in the giver. Hey, look at us. Aren't we good? We're helping the poor. Let's put it on Instagram. Let's tweet about it. But at the same time, it brings humiliation to the receiver. And so there'll always be that barrier because we're not giving people dignity. 
Jesus didn't do that. He said, the Son of Man has come to serve, but unlike everyone else, he served from a position of weakness. He humbled himself. He didn't take up power, he laid it down. Gave up his own life for us, so that all who will deny their own lives and follow him might find true peace and unity, not just with him, but with one another. With one another. Right? Regardless of race or background or social standing, that we are all one in him. And that's why it's only the gospel that can answer the needs of our society today. Right? But if people are going to receive the gospel, it means us humbling ourselves and following Jesus in weakness to cross those barriers and build relationships with people. And that's why at Gosling Meadows, we weren't interested in just providing a meal, uh, even though many of the kids could do with one. We were interested in building relationships, in building communities. Why we will sit down and eat with the residents and uh, talk with them and involve them, ask them to help us um, in what we're doing there. Rather than us saying, oh, we're going to make a difference in this community. Instead, we try and help them to make a difference in their own community. You see, if walls are going to be torn down, uh, not just in our society, but in people's hearts, then we need to learn from Jesus what it means to share a cup with them. And I would suggest it means listening more and talking less. I would suggest it means learning to receive and not just to give. It means treating people with dignity and not like a project. And it means being prepared to move out of our comfort zones and to cross barriers where necessary to bless people who may be very different from us. Amen? So let me finish with this, all right? I'm going to, uh, just a, something to remember to go with, to help us in our mission. Uh, this is an acronym we use in our church. And knowing PJ, you've probably got acronyms coming out of your ears. Uh, here's another one you can add to the list, all right? Um, this is the word bless. And some of you may have heard this before. We're here to bless. Bless stands for this. B is for begin with prayer. Okay, because ultimately we're here to do the will of the Father and to accomplish His work, right? So begin with prayer. Ask Him. Bathe everything in prayer. We pray that God would open a door for us into that community. It's like He gave us the keys of the city. Um, ask God who He wants you to bless. B, begin with prayer. L is for listen. Listen to what people are saying. Ask questions. When people are living a very different lifestyle to you, or maybe you're from a different culture, ask them to tell you their story. All right, seek to understand, be a learner. It makes a huge difference to both parties because to listen means it shows that you care. And to listen means you gain understanding which can lead to compassion. Uh, my transgender friend first came to our church five years ago. He was born as a man struggled with his identity all of his life, as long as he can remember, uh, was married for over 30 years, he's got children, he's got grandchildren, he's seen uh, many different counselors, and he's cried out to God for 
decades now. Um, and, but he was just uh, so desperately unhappy that he ultimately became suicidal. And so he made the very difficult decision to identify as a woman. His wife left him, his family disowned him, and his church threw him out uh, and called him an abomination. So he came to us. First question he asked me, are you going to reject me as well? I said, no, we're not going to reject you. Um, but I do want to get to know you, and I want to hear your story. And I want you to help our church to understand. And um, <clears throat> I can tell you, having spent considerable time uh, listening, uh, I really feel I have some understanding and compassion for people who have gender dysphoria. And <clears throat> we've been very clear with him and with the church, we don't agree uh, with some of the steps that he's taken. We don't agree that, we don't believe it's right to change your body to line up with what your mind is telling you. Um, we've been clear there's, there's things that he won't be able to do, like go on women's retreats. Uh, we've wrestled over some of these things. There have been tears. But we're still friends. And he's still with us to this day. And he loves Jesus. And our church is his family. And actually, he's become rather an unlikely evangelist, a bit like the Samaritan woman. One day, he invited this uh, stunning-looking woman to church, who, of course, turned out to be a man. And now, maybe you don't want to deal with that. Maybe you'd just rather not deal with that. And I'm not going to deny there's there's issues you have to wrestle with and face. Maybe it's easier just to close the door on people like that. I don't think that's what Jesus would do. I think Jesus would ask someone like that for a cup of water. So L is for listen. E, E is for eat. Food crosses boundaries, doesn't it? What do we all have in common? Every people group, it doesn't matter what you believe, what do we all have in common? We all eat. And uh, maybe the disciples, they weren't wrong in wanting to eat, but maybe they've done better to have shared their meal with a Samaritan woman because that breaks down uh, barriers. That's what food does. In my previous church in London, uh, we had two Bulgarian families started coming along. And, um, uh, but they never wanted to integrate. They never really mixed with anyone else. They'd, they'd arrive late and they'd leave straight on time as soon as the meeting finished. And I, you know, I can understand why. I mean, they probably felt they didn't fit in with just a bunch of white suburban English-speaking Brits. And here's these Bulgarians, uh, probably couldn't find anywhere else. And um, so after one of the meetings, I ran out to catch up with them just to introduce myself and got talking to one of the heads of the families, Eddie Kostov, his name was, and found out that in Bulgaria, he was a baker. And he, one of his dreams was to open a bakery in our town. And I said, you know, I'd love to try some Bulgarian pastries. I'd love to, you know, taste some Bulgarian food. Do you know, his face lit up. Really? Absolutely. Then you must come to my house and we'll have some food. And so we made a plan and went over. Uh, I mean, I didn't know there were so many Bulgarians in our town. Uh, there were extended families, huge spread of food. 
and uh, we had a feast. And I said, this is wonderful. I said, you know what? We have a community group that meets in your neighborhood. They would love to experience this. He said, really? And I said, absolutely. He said, harasho. And then, so we made a plan. And the uh, community group went round. Do you know that's all it took? To see them fully integrated into the church. 20 years later, they're still there. I went last year, Eddie Kostov's on the door. Welcome team, welcome me in. Isn't that amazing? Can you see it was important that I asked Eddie to host me rather than the other way around? He may have felt awkward if he came to my house not knowing culturally what would be expected of him. Putting it on his turf actually helped him, uh, being the host. It was an honor for him. It was like Jesus asking for a, a drink. Let's eat. First S is serve. We're almost done. Serve. Because as we pray, as we listen, as we eat with people, we find out um, what some of the needs are and how we might serve them, except this time not as benefactors but as friends. And it may even lead to them then serving with us even better. Uh, we now run in our church a recovery program because of the huge um, opioid uh, epidemic in our state. And one of the ladies from Gosling Meadows participated in our program. And she was the other lady who came to faith and was baptized. And now she's uh, actually on staff with us at the church part-time, uh, helping other people uh, with addictions and serving with us. So S is for serve. And finally, the final S is share our story. Okay? As we do these other things, we'll find there are many opportunities to share our story of what God has done. Right? When we come with this attitude of humility, desiring to listen and to get to know people um, and serving them, it naturally opens the door to the gospel. And we all of us here have a story to share. Uh, the Samaritan woman certainly did after her encounter with Jesus and her testimony had a massive impact. But you know what? Her testimony is our testimony too. You see, we're no different to this woman, are we? We may be good at covering up, putting on a cloak of respectability, but Jesus knows us. He knows our past. He knows our present. He knows our hearts. And nothing is hidden from him. And yet, he doesn't reject us. He invites us to come to him, to come to Jesus, who on the cross took all of our sin and shame, as we've been singing about this morning. Took it all upon himself. He was crucified for us, dying in the place of every one of us, rejected by men, the Bible says, forsaken by God. Jesus was the reject. And it's so that we might be forgiven and find acceptance, so that we can draw near to him and to one another, so that together we can receive eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. And that's what we're going to do now as we take communion in response. I just want to invite you to come and receive from him here today. Come with gratitude, thanking him. Maybe you're wondering, do I qualify? Can I, can I take communion this morning? Well, 
Do you want Jesus? Are you willing to come to him today and to give your life to him, to put your trust in him, in what he did for you, rejected, so that we might be received by God, welcomed in, sons and daughters, right? If that's what you want. And maybe for some of you, this is the first time you're going to do this, all right, in taking communion, um, where we remember his body broken for us as represented by the bread or the little wafer we're going to have. But it's his body that was given for us so that we might have life. And then the, the juice uh, representing his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Right? If you want to receive that today, new life, forgiveness in him, or just to give thanks and to remember what he's done for you, you come. You come and receive from him today. Uh, let's just pray, and then I'm going to invite uh, people to come up. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you, Lord, for how you came to us, Lord. Lord, when our sin had created this barrier and had separated us from God, Lord, you crossed that barrier. You came from heaven to earth. You came to us. You reached out to us. You showed love to us, Lord. You died for us, Lord. Oh, Jesus, thank you that you, you crossed that barrier for every one of us here today. Lord, that we might be welcomed in, that we might receive mercy and grace. Lord, I pray that you would help every one of us to follow you, Lord, in reaching out to those around us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to cross those barriers, to humble ourselves, Lord. Lord, to disarm the hostility and the fear. Lord, help us to treat people with dignity. All people, because that's how you've treated us. Lord, we want to follow you in this. We want to make you known to those around us how good you are. And Lord, we come to you now as we come to your table to receive grace from you as we take this bread and wine, just remembering what you did for us on the cross. I pray there may be here, some here today who may even do this for the first time saying, yes, that's what I want. I want Jesus. Lord, will you come to them today, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen.